Hello there, Millennium Live listeners. It's Connor Tui here. Great to be back on the Millennium Live podcast series. I'm talking with a great company today, one that is creating a world where everyone is kind to their mind. I'm excited to have Headspace Health here on the podcast today, talking with two great executives who are really transforming mental health care in the workplace. I'd like to introduce our guests on the podcast here today, we have Dr. Dana Udall. She is the Chief Clinical Officer at Headspace Health. 25 years of experience, she oversees coaching, therapy, and psychiatry to ensure clinical excellence in a multidisciplinary and collaborative model. Uh, Dr. Udall, thank you so much for your expertise and for joining Millennium Live today. Thanks so much for having me, Connor. I'm excited to be here. And we also have Jody Bryant. She is the Chief Commercial Officer at Headspace Health. She has nearly 30 years of experience herself. She leads global enterprise sales over at Headspace Health. And she has a numerous experience of many different commercial programs, big names such as Aetna, CVS Health Company, Putnam, Mercer, City Street, you name it. Uh, Jody, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the podcast as well. So thanks for joining. Honor, thanks for having us today. This is really exciting. Pleasure to be here. Great. I'm I'm excited and honored to have the both of you here together on the podcast. And yeah, as I mentioned, we are talking all about transforming mental health care, keeping that mindfulness in the workplace, uh, a, a topic that is needs to be discussed and, and needs a platform where we have these discussions. So I want to jump right into it. Dana, I want to start with you. You know, we, we're all familiar with the difficulties that individuals can face in accessing mental health care, and it's very important. So we have a traditional system here. What are some of these barriers that we're seeing in terms of gaining access to care that, that we need? Well, I'm glad we're talking about it. The barriers are many and they've existed for a long time, but since the pandemic, we've seen so many more people that are seeking help and we just don't have enough providers to really provide it. So there's a few things that happen. In many locations, there really are no mental health providers. 50% um, of American counties, there is not one mental health provider, which means that in your geography, in your town, in your city, there may be nobody that you can go to. Or you might be looking through a book uh, of insurance providers and nobody has availability. They may not be able to see you for weeks or months. So it's really hard to get care. In addition, it's often hard to tell if care is high quality. So very often care outcomes are not measured. Only about 20% of providers are using something called measurement-based care, which means that they don't necessarily know if a member is getting better or not. So that might mean that some people get too much care, too little care. So it's really important that behavioral health measures outcomes. And it's something that as a field, we're late in adopting, we're late in getting to. So we're moving toward that, but that's a barrier also. And then the third is that many people need someone to talk to. They may need support, but they don't qualify for a diagnosis. And as a result, they may have kind of mild symptoms or things like sleep disturbance for many months, even years, and never seek help because they don't have that diagnosis. And that's a problem with our system. So all of those things combined, and what that means is that the great majority of folks who are struggling with mental health never get the support that they need. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that is, you mentioned some really tough issues and some tough problems, some tough roadblocks that we need to address. So I, I want to turn it over to you, Jody, and and just ask, you know, what 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 about these gaps? You know, that we're talking about. What are, what are the gaps in this traditional model? in terms of employee mental health care benefits that we're seeing, you know, what are the results when employees sort of fall through the cracks and and don't get the help that they, that they need and are seeking? Thanks, Connor. Thanks for asking that. Um, You know, so the gaps exist today in the mental health system. That's why um, companies like ours have formed to really change and evolve the mental health system. Um, Some of the post-pandemic realities that we've all seen is that people just do need support. Dana talked about that a bit, right? I think we could all say we all could use support in our day-to-day lives and some of the reasons that Dana stated, but 90% of Americans believe that we're truly in a mental health crisis right now. Um, And that is just an astounding number. And so when we think about, you know, 71% of employees uh, believe that their employer has a major role in helping them be well at work. So we take that really serious and believe that we've created a wonderful uh, opportunity for employees and employers alike to put in a program that meets the employee where they are so that employees don't fall through the cracks, right? So that we're saving um, that precious psychiatry in-person time for those that truly need it. Um, So we talk about this uh, continuum of service and support that starts with self-care. We believe in a model of self-care that really helps all of us um, with things like meditation and sleep and anxiety and giving them folks tools really to work on those strategies that help them early in their journey. Um, there, uh, Dana mentioned that there's a spectrum of need, right? So we believe, and we've had great results in surveys and studies that show that the vast majority of people just need support in those types of categories. We, again, reserve um, the more acute care for those that need it, but getting in early, meeting someone where they are truly helps open up what has been a stigma Um, sort of riddled environment for a long time, right? And it helps people enter a system that's destigmatized and more available. So we hope that starting early will truly help uh, individuals not fall through the cracks. Thank you. That's 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 terrific. And I I think we're on a a good journey then to uh, to tackle this. And uh, Dr. Udall, I just want to bring it back a little bit to you, uh, something that you referenced and maybe we can explore this further. But you know, in terms of this lack of access, we're seeing increased costs, right? So how does a lack of access lead to increased mental health care costs and, and why? So there is ample research that for a variety of diagnoses, whether we're talking about depression, which is one of the most common things that we see, or an eating disorder, uh, rates of which really increased over the pandemic, if folks don't get treatment early, they're less likely to have a good outcome. So what that means is that if they don't get treatment typically within the first few weeks or months, and let's say they get treatment after six months or 12 months, it's likely going to take them longer to recover. They're not going to need more care, which we know is more expensive, and they may not have a full recovery. So that early intervention is key because what we know is, again, care is more expensive if it's delayed. So if folks don't get in, it's going to be more expensive. 
The other thing that we know that's really important here is that there is such a high level of comorbidity between mental health issues and physical health issues. So if we take depression, for example, there is very high comorbidity with diabetes. And what that means is that if someone has both of those diagnoses, they're going to have a lot of spend, both in the mental health and the medical categories. So we really need to be treating both of these things, treating them collaboratively and in conjunction. But ideally, we're able to give people skills early on. Jody mentioned content and coaching. So if we can introduce people to skills like mindfulness, which can really help with mood regulation, if we can have coaches who are talking to folks about the importance of sleep and sleep hygiene for regulating mood, then we have a chance of preventing some of those issues from occurring in the first place, which again can reduce both mental health spend and medical spend, be much cheaper for employers, for individuals, and really for society as a whole when we think about lost productivity and costs associated with these illnesses. I want to tee this up for, for Jody because it it's important to, and I'm so, again, I'm really happy we're talking about this. And Jody, on your on your end of the spectrum here, being a part of that commercial side, that enablement side, that consultancy side, I just want to get your thoughts on why why is it so important and the importance of having these conversations about access, about costs? You know, why are they important for today's businesses and particularly the employees who work five days a week for them? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so it's super important that we're having this conversation and we're addressing um, the employer's role in how to help their employees. So, um, you know, I believe that we are in now in a place where people are starting to be more willing to talk about their mental health at work uh, and wellness in general and ideas for how to cope. Um, that's become, as we're coming sort of post-pandemic, people are coming back into office, they're looking for benefits and opportunities to have that conversation with their peers and with their managers. And there's just, it feels like a, a more openness and a willingness to, to do that. So we meet with employers all across the board, um, all across the globe that are talking about how do we do something different? How do we really raise our game? Um, EAPs are wonderful for what they're in place for, but in a lot of cases, we're hearing they're not meeting the employer need around speed to access. So when you have somebody in um, a critical need or a manager that needs to help an employee, they're just, there's long wait periods. There's a, a real barrier to getting that help quickly. Um, so that's one of the things that we're helping employers solve is an entry point to care. Um, again, I mentioned the self-care um, module and, and sort of model that we employ. We believe and we see results that it really works when people start using um, tools early on. And so we're talking to employers about how do they raise the bar and do something different now in addition to EAP services, not to say that the EAP isn't important, but employees want more. They want their employer engaged in better tools and services. So um, making that available and helping employers build a benefit strategy that shows the importance of early access, um, faster care, 
and more support. You'll hear us say that word a lot, right? Because that's what people really need. Uh, making that very core to their benefit program each year as they do plan design and not sort of an ancillary on the side sort of um, benefit program, but really integrated uh, and helpful to the employee. So I, I think those are some of the key ways that we're helping employers. Um, the cost front, Dana talked about that, right? Every employer conversation you have, they want to talk about. So is this really going to work? Are people going to use it? Is utilization going to be there? And is it going to help people get ahead of their mental health challenge and help the longer term, more acute or crisis situation that, that could be coming? I hope that Absolutely. helps, Connor. Absolutely, it does. And I like that you mentioned, you know, just being able to talk about this because I feel like that that was challenge number one is to destigmatize mental health in the workplace and and make it something where that is openly talked about because of the effects uh, just working every day you know just coming out of that pandemic and things have things have drastically changed so I think this is a good first step and I want to I want to take this even further about you know, and, and and maybe turn this uh, question over to you, Dr. Udall, you know, what shape does prevention take in mental health care today and, and staying on top of this and, and perhaps some of the tools that, that some, uh, a company like Headspace Health can offer employees that really can, in terms of the costs, enable lower cost preventative mental health care. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what we are really aiming to do is to destigmatize mental health and to make it extremely accessible. And you've heard us say that a lot, but let's talk about really what that means specifically. And the easiest way to describe it is that we are on our phones all the time, whether it's for banking, communicating with friends, work-related tasks. So let's create a system, which is what we have done, that allows people to access care through their cell phone at their moment of need. The reason that's important is that we know that mental health needs don't happen just nine to five, they happen around the clock. So for example, early in the pandemic, we saw a 50% increase in overnight utilization of folks talking with our coaches. Well, the bad news is people are not sleeping and there's major consequences to that, both in terms of physical and mental health. But rather than doom scrolling, people were chatting with a coach. They were getting support so that they could deal with issues related to maybe anxiety. And a lot of what we are doing on our system is ensuring that folks have these tools at the moment of need and early in their mental health journey. So we have these sort of nighttime SOS meditations that our members can come on and very easily get support, learn to self-regulate, learn to calm down. So that low friction, low stigma approach is really valuable. It means that you don't need to drive across town and get childcare and sit in a waiting room. It means that at your moment of need, you can have that on your phone. The other thing that's really important when we're talking about care and prevention is that it is culturally responsive and relevant. So we do this a variety of ways. One of the ways that we do this is through ensuring that our mindfulness teachers are from diverse backgrounds, that we have folks who can speak to various populations. We make sure that the content is really relevant. And then we also make sure that our care team, so that's coaches, therapists, and psychiatrists, are from diverse backgrounds because we know that that's important. So getting care early is gonna be more likely if people feel seen and heard, if they feel as though there is somebody who potentially has the same lived identity or background as them. 
And the other thing I want to just mention briefly, our research, as well as other research in the field, suggests that pairing of coaching with content really helps drive engagement. What I mean by that, members can go into our app and very easily find mindfulness exercises. They can use any time that are extremely helpful. But if they're also talking with a coach who can reinforce that, who can check in and say, hey, how did that go? Have you been able to use that exercise? Have you noticed feeling less anxious as a result? That helps people get better and it helps people feel really comfortable and build skills quickly. So those are some examples of the way at Headspace Health, we're really focusing on early intervention and prevention and helping people stay at that subacute level. So again, we're keeping them out of those higher levels of care and teaching them skills they can maintain for their whole life for lots of years of health and happiness. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really like that because it, it's true. You know, you, mental health isn't a nine to five issue. <laughs> and especially with how the pandemic has changed how we work and, you know, we, there is a, there's a, there is a bit of a less of a, um, a barrier between work and life now, which tends to be a good thing in some aspects and tends to not be in others. And we need to um, sort of, I think, understand that better. But um, I think, I think it's important that employers know how to manage this. And, and Jody, I want to turn to you and, and, and maybe ask about, you know, because this, you know, this podcast is going to be listened to by a great group of benefits leadership, uh, executives, you know, in, in HR that are looking for solutions. And and what should they know about employee mental health outcomes, you know, and, and what, what is out there? You know, how can leaders ensure that the offerings that they are providing to their employees are making an impact? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so important. Um, and I think, you know, we have to talk about results when you think about benefit programs and something as sensitive as mental health. You need to see the result uh, to be convinced that utilization will happen. Just a quick stat for you, Connor, and, and the audience. You know, we have seen through our membership on Headspace that after just 30 days of using our mindfulness content uh, through the app, our membership reports a 30% reduction in anxiety and a 70% reduction in depression um, symptoms. So truly um, impactful results. And that should should speak volumes to, to people and employers alike. You know, the one thing we talk a lot about with employers is this isn't easy stuff, right? Um, HR and benefits, they walk a line with mental health and how to help their employees. But I think they all want to, right? There's a desire and a passion to make sure that we're helping our employees be well at work. And so just, um, you know, something to think about, we we uh, are here to help sort of um, employers build these benefit programs that come with education. So nobody knows just how to do this, right? Good frontline managers, good senior managers need to be trained on how to lead with empathy and compassion and talk about mental health. So we've spent a lot of time developing great programs that we're happy to help folks with as they think about how to do this. Um, 
part of it, I think, is a barrier to like, where do we start? And I think a good partnership uh, with someone like a Headspace really can help you build the right program and take it sort of step by step as you start to develop. Yeah. And, you know, Jody, you you kind of mentioned this in, in that answer about, you know, what is what leadership's role in all of this is and how how they can encourage employees uh, to care for themselves and care for their mental health. You know, how can organizations really reduce the stigma around mental health? And if they've perhaps started to tackle this, how can they take it a step further? Yeah, that's a that's a big one, Connor. Right? It's uh, such decades and um, forever old sort of stigma around mental health. I certainly think that the pandemic, I mentioned this earlier, helped all of us just be a little bit maybe softer and willing to talk about challenges. Um, you know, I always say, like, I found my greatest support in my neighbors during uh, COVID with small children at home, and we all found our support system, but there are greater needs out there. We all know the state of the mental health system um, and getting people that support is, is critical. Um, so I would say, you know, as we start to think about the stigma that exists within an employer, Brand is really important. Um, I think having a known, loved brand is critical in rolling something like this out because a lot of people use tools on their phone uh, in their own time and they're familiar with uh, certain programs and having that be part of now your employer. Um, we often talk about building a brand ambassador internally, somebody that uses the tools to really um, amplify and support the employee adoption and um, likelihood that people will use it. We've seen that be super impactful uh, and important to the employee base, just knowing that they're supported internally through knowledge and, and education. So how can a more comprehensive model of mental health care be more cost effective for employers? I know that the complexity can be overwhelming. What added benefits are there for those in the benefits leadership space and employees when when their when their their business and their organization can offer a single end-to-end -end mental health care solution yeah so i i agree like the comprehensiveness of a program that sort of starts at self-care all the way through psychiatry can certainly offer great benefits. Uh, we talked about a lot of them here today, the early um, intervention or prevention and getting folks used to using self-care all the way through our step care model, which moves somebody through coaching um, to uh, therapy and psychiatry as they need it and back down. Um, Dana is the most wonderful person to talk about this, but our coaching model sits at the center of that and really helps somebody on their journey um, and those highs and lows that we talked about. Um, so that all starting early prevention helps somebody hopefully avoid the sort of catastrophic or crisis that could be looming and coming. Um, and that as employers cost a lot of money when somebody is hospitalized um, and needs that acute care. Dana, I'm not sure, would you add anything more to that? I, You're certainly the specialist on that. No, I think you framed it so well. <clears throat> I think that coaching is such a flexible approach. And so our coaches are really able to help people in so many different areas. 
And then we do have these higher levels of care because we know that at times clinical care is needed, but it is this sort of one entry point, this really simplified way that helps members and employees understand very easily what their options and their needs are. The healthcare system is overwhelming for people and we're really trying to make it easy both for employers and employees. This is great. <laughs> and I, I love, you know, I, I just love hearing about you know companies like like Headspace Health, who is changing the game. And I just have a couple more questions uh, for you, Jody and Dana. You know, perhaps Jody, you can answer this. You know how how can real how can benefits leaders identify and demonstrate the result of of offering mental health care solutions, you know, to their teams, and and continue the rise of productivity again. Yeah, yeah, that's such a critical question. Uh, we see such a great um, connection to entering um, sort of the mental health space and how do you bring this to employees um, to then give the the VOI or the ROI to the employer. This is a space for me that I don't think it always comes down to the bottom line dollar, right? Uh, and whether or not to do something about a crisis that all employers are facing. Um, we've seen many survey results that more productive, happier employees um, are, are willing to stay with an employer longer because they know that they're being cared for. Um, the solutions and programs that are put into place retain employees. Uh, that is a known fact. And lack of that is contributing to um, attrition and people leaving to look for an employer that truly cares about the well-being of each of their employees. So uh, there's a wonderful case studies out there that we will be happy to share that talk about sort of the ROI, VOI result of a program like this. Um, but again, I sort of always sort of go to have your own employees talk about it and how it helped them change their life where they were in their mental health um, journey. And that really brings some of the most valuable stories to the senior uh, C-suite that needs to make decisions about these programs. I can't let either of you go before I ask one more question. It's sort of a something I've, I like to do on Millennium Live is to talk about the future and goals and and so to the road we're on and and the road ahead. And you know, I, I'm glad that we're having this conversation now. I feel like we have we have some work to do. And it's only gonna get better. So headspace health doing such great things and and creating this accessible mental health care platform for employees. I I just I just think that's so awesome. So I kind of want to get you, your your view on where it's going, and and I want to start with you, Doctor Udall. You know, I love this. You know, at the cornerstone cornerstone of what you do is this belief in relationships and to help people heal and grow. So how can we continue that in the workplace and beyond? And how do we advance the solutions that are that are out there now? Well, it's a great question. And for me, it's always the pairing of humans, right? The relationships, because we know that that really matters. It's kind of a condition for change often that people feel seen and heard with good data. And so I think part of our remit is really focusing on making sure that we're measuring care, making sure that it is highly personalized and really relevant to the individual and developed or delivered within this kind of envelope of empathy, warmth, compassion, and really kind of human driven. 
The other thing that we are really passionate about is training the next generation of coaches and clinicians to make sure that we have a diverse workforce, to make sure that we are opening up this possibility of professional growth and development. Because we've seen people leave the field, we know that there is a lot of burnout right now. So we're trying to create an environment that is really helpful and supportive to our staff and also moving the needle by creating opportunities for training because we know that that benefits the next generation of coaches and clinicians and it ensures that care is really high quality, which is so important to us as we are on this journey. Of course, yes. And and Jody, uh, you know, being on the commercial side of things, you know, how can more organizations out there emphasize the benefits of of these solutions, such as Headspace Health, and and, and where we can create mental health care for all employees eventually i'm i'm hoping we can get there but um you know we had a, we had talked a lot about how we can implement these solutions so do you do you see a a a, a good future in, in this and and perhaps where do we go in in 3 to 5 years when you know who know i don't who knows what the future holds really but in terms of organizations and businesses out there can we truly utilize these solutions and help employees get the help and health and mindfulness that they need. Yeah, I really think we can, Connor. And some of the trends and themes that we're seeing with very large, very large and very small employers right now is just the desire to do something different. We're all in this place now that we've recognized that history doesn't always have to carry forward and repeat, right? Um, there are solutions in place that have worked for employers for many, many decades that see very low utilization. Um, traditional EAP, I mentioned, uh, it is time for employers to start looking at the shift in how to offer a broader program and the willingness to do that and the desire to test the market and test how this would work within their own population has been just such a bright spot uh, through 2022 and now into 2023. The most um, complex employers are looking at how to do this. And like I said, very small um, businesses are looking to help their employees just in a bigger way, have that entry point, take away that barrier to care and access and get in early and really take prevention methods um, seriously and see the outcome of how happy, healthy employees are much more productive. Uh, we didn't talk about it today, but focusing on the family unit um, is really important to us because we all know as employees, if I have something going on at home, it's coming to work with me. So we're super diligent about thinking about our services for families as well uh, and helping employees uh, just be their very best at work. I can't think of a better way to end it. So thank you. And I, I agree with you. I think there'll have to be a part two to this conversation. So I want to thank the both of you for this amazing chat about how we can transform mental health care and improve the health and happiness of the world. I really, really, really want to thank Dr. Dana Udall, Chief Clinical Officer at Headspace Health, as well as Jody Bryant, the Chief Commercial Officer. Thank you so much for joining Millennium Live. I, I can't wait to 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 meet you if you if you are going on site to our transformational benefits and CHRO program coming up soon. And for all those listening, I hope you've learned a lot 
and are excited to explore more about Headspace Health. So that concludes this podcast, and we'll hope to see you soon. Thank you, Connor. Thanks, Connor.